you know, as as we examine the early church, um, mm-hmm. noting that I'm not sure we're supposed to try to duplicate what's done there unless we're willing to strike that Ananias and Sapphira's of the world. But, you know, you see this amazing Koinonia fellowship, and it's no coincidence that the breaking of bread was a major feature of what they did together. But, you know, what was the significance of bread breaking in the ancient world, uh, especially among religious sojourners? Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Trip Hawthorne, Cindy Foldenlore, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Greg Mamula, Associate executive minister and regional missionary uh, at the American Baptist Church of Nebraska. He's also authored a new book, Table Life. Greg, thank you for joining the conversation. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate being here. So I left off your title. You are uh, a reverend and and a doctor, um, but uh, you did your work at Northern Seminary in Chicago. Yeah, so I got my MDiv at Truett Seminary at Baylor University. And then I did my doctoral work at Northern Seminary with uh, Dr. Scott McKnight and had a really great experience there, focused a lot on Second Temple uh, Judaism and kind of that historical context of the New Testament. And, and it was a really good experience. I'm really glad I got to be part of something like that. Well, um, 
just a, a small note, you could hang in CBF because of the way that you just let uh, Truett Seminary and Baylor <laughs> that, that just it was that it was that subtle pause yeah. that all of my Truett friends, uh, you know, let just hang out there. I went to Truett Seminary. So uh, <laughs> but Scott McKnight is a great guy's a friend of yep. the program. We've had him on a couple of times. Um, yep. So tell us a little bit about your work with American Baptist. Yeah, so um, I, I started out uh, as a local church uh, staff member, associate pastor of uh, First Baptist Church in North Platte, Nebraska. Uh, grew up, like so many people, grew up Southern Baptist, kind of transitioned into a little bit of CBF life, a little bit of Baptist uh, General Convention of Texas life when I was going to school there at, at Baylor. Um, but then found this opening in, in Nebraska, and it was an American Baptist congregation. Didn't really know that much about them. Uh, leaned into it and had a really great experience so far. Uh, in 2012, I, I moved from being a local church uh, staff member to being on region staff for the state of Nebraska. Uh, so we partner with 70 churches in the state of Nebraska and in other states that are, are starting to connect with us a little bit. Um, and, and what we do is, 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 is what any state body might do for, for their denomination. We help with pastoral placements. We do conflict transformation. Uh, we partner with uh, outside mission agencies. So we're the kind of bridge between international ministries and our local churches or our American Baptist Home Mission Society and our local churches. We provide uh, pastor conferences, training, that sort of stuff. So it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. it it's uh, never the same any two days in a row. And, and it's really broad. So you get to, to experience lots of different kinds of ministry. You know, I, I know, uh, like us, we're trying to figure out exactly how this pandemic has affected us. Um, you know, also in the, not just the short term, and it seems like we might have the answers for the short term, but also for the, the long term, you know, in what ways do you think um, this pandemic has affected ABC churches? Yeah. I think, like everybody, context and, and geography matters. Um, and so a church in Philadelphia might be responding to the pandemic differently than a church in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, but I think for our context specifically, we, we did have a, a good period of, of shutdown, several months. Uh, many churches um, quickly got online and did the best they could in transitioning into that dual medium, some sort of online experience for those who could meet in person. They, they did a little bit of both for a while. I, I think what it did is it forced churches to be creative. Um, they had to think through why do we gather as a church? What's the point of being a church? Is it to hear really good preaching? Is it to sing together? Is it the social aspects? Um, what's, what, what's the point of, of being a local church? So I think for us, the, the biggest things we've discovered is that community does matter. Coming together is important. Being in the presence of one another, either online or in person, makes a difference in our lives. Isolation is not good for us. Um, we tend to uh, creep into the worst parts of ourselves when we're isolated too long, and other people help bring us out of that stuff. And that's where hope is rooted, you know. So I, I think as we move forward, what we've discovered is it can't all be about the Sunday sermon uh, as far as worship goes. 
and more community aspects, getting people more connected in the life of a worship service and or the other parts of the ministries is going to be crucial going forward. Yeah, you know, I'm with you. I think um, I think after this pandemic or even at this stage in the pandemic in a safe way, um, congregations are going to have to relearn each other. And um, it was fascinating for us here at University of Baptist Churches. We actually grew during the pandemic. And a lot of the folks that are coming to worship were new people to our church. And so how do we introduce new folks to people who've been here, some of them for decades, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think building that, that sense of authentic community, genuine connections, um, and, and really investing in that time is going to pay dividends for congregations um, moving forward, because I, I think the biggest challenge is going to be, hey, look, we've got some big decisions to make. And if we don't have that foundation of mutual respect and trust and familiarity with one another, oh my Lord, if we thought the conflicts before the, before the pandemic were bad among churches, imagine what it's like now as people have lived in isolation, used to thinking their thoughts unto themselves, saying whatever they want to say online, uh, that I think the vitriol will be at a higher, higher level. But you have a a wonderful resource that is for congregations and it's, it's multi-layered and other things, but uh, we're going to get to that, that piece of the conversation here shortly. So the book is table life and invitation to everyday discipleship. You wrote living a table life cultivates a series of habits that creates a holistic approach that helps you become more aware of the presence of Christ in your life and the lives of those around you. Take us back to uh, the conception of this book. What was going on in your spiritual journey that you needed this for you, um, but you also needed this to share with others? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's kind of a confluence of, of two different things. First is the uh, doctoral work that you alluded to earlier. Uh, and I, I needed some sort of a project <laughs> to, to work through. And, and while going through those studies, um, I transitioned neighborhoods. I, I, my, my family had been living um, in, in one part of town. We moved to another part of town. And in order to get to know our community better, we started hosting meals and wanting to get to know our neighbors. Um, compound that with the fact that I started going from working in a local church to working with many different churches. Uh, I began to connect with them differently. Now, my family became part of a local church eventually. Um, but I had always been a staff member. And so how, do, how, does, how does everybody else connect in the life of a church became a new question <laughs> because I had always done so as a pastor and you got kind of built in relationships that way. So we had to foster uh, ways to build relationships in a church. And again, the meals kind of became the answer. And as we're going through that, uh, we're discovering that the table is a space where we told stories how did we come to be here? Why did we join this church? Why are we in this neighborhood? What are our vocations? What's our family stories? These are the kind of things we were telling around the table. And I was finding great value in those conversations. Uh, I was growing closer to those people I was eating with. I was growing closer to those churches. I was growing closer to my neighborhood. And I just was paying attention and, and recognized that this was powerful and helpful. And, and that's kind of the genesis of it, um, discovered that these, these conversations were, were meaningful and helpful to me, to my family. They were connecting me to Christ because I was getting connected to their story and, 
and how they bore witness to the presence of Christ in their lives, and it was encouraging. Um, and and I just realized that this was a great way to share what God was doing in my life every day uh, without having to do those old-fashioned Sunday night, you know, testimony times uh, like you might have done when you were a kid. And so it was a fun way to share uh, what God was doing now more than what God had done in our past a really long time ago. Um, let's take a quick detour real quick. So, um, you know, speaking of those Sunday night uh, testimony stories, I had a professor who will remain nameless because I know he both listens to this podcast and others who listen to it know who I'm talking about. Uh, but he was talking about during his seminary days, he pastored a, a local uh, country church uh, where he was going to seminary and uh, allowed at the end of worship for people to come up and to share how God had been moving and working in their lives in the worship service. And uh, <laughs> he said this woman came up after worship and proceeded to tell the entire congregation that she and the uh, uh, chair of the deacons had been having an affair for several years. Um, and the chair of the deacons is sitting on the front row with his whole family as this woman oh, is telling everybody so he said that was the last sunday i allowed people to give <laughs> testimonies at the end yeah. of worship <laughs> i imagine i imagine yeah. my uh my, my experience in in different churches growing up but also in, as a staff member when we would do those kind of things you you'd get the same kind of stories every week um and and it would be somebody in there you know, 60s or 70s, very faithful, lifelong members of the church, very faithful people. But they would talk about how they became Christians in high school mm -hmm. or as a young adult. And they just tell that story every time. And, and while helpful and, and good to remember those stories, I, I always ask the question, well, what is God doing now? It's mm -hmm. amazing. I'm, I'm glad something happened that changed your life 30, 40 years ago. But what about now? H how does that help me today? And so, um, I've always found the more present tense stories helpful while trying not to disparage ways God has worked in our past. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that one thing or two things that put us on this path. But uh, yeah, like and, and, even though, now. and even though James tells us that we should confess to each other, maybe, uh, you know, uh, talking yeah. about an affair and a worship experience is maybe is not the best place in time for it. So theologically, socially yeah. and politically, the table was a critical place for the ministry of Jesus. Uh, he didn't yeah. just share that famous meal with his disciples, but he broke bread with the religious leaders, the tax collectors, a, a massive hungry crowd, prostitutes and, and so-called sinners. Theologically, you know, I see communion as a seamless connection between all of those meals shared with the most unlikely of people who were invited into the fellowship of Jesus and to our churches today, making all welcome at the table of fellowship. So how has Jesus' tables, table life influenced you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, it actually does, does just what you said. I mean, it, it, it breaks down barriers between people. I mean, we're pretty obvious. We're, we're living in a pretty contentious society. Um, and it's, it's a lot harder to yell at somebody like you might on a social media post, which I don't recommend, but you know, people do it. Uh, it's harder to do that when you're sitting across the table from them knee to knee with good food between you. I, I think what we see from Jesus is, is just what you said is, is it was a political statement. 
It was a religious statement. It was social statements. And I think for me, um, being able to share what God is doing in my life with others, my neighbors, they're, they're not all Christians. Um, they don't all go to church. Some Sundays we're the only car moving um, in our neighborhood. And so being able to, to say, this is, this is what God's doing in my life as I eat with people. Um, and, and then they tell me their story and, and it gives us an opportunity to speak what God's doing in their lives what we see and and they know that's the kind of people we are um and it's really opened some other opportunities so when there's crisis in their lives they'll maybe come over to our house and share those things with us ask us for advice pray with them even if they haven't prayed in years um they we've kind of been identified as as those people and and that's really good that's that's good there's responsibility with that of course but it's, it's been a really good experience for, for that sort of thing. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. You know, as as we examine the early church, um, mm-hmm. noting that I'm not sure we're supposed to try to duplicate what's done there unless we're willing to strike dead Ananias and Sapphires of the world. But, you know, you see this amazing Koinonia fellowship, and it's no coincidence that the breaking of bread was a major feature of what they did together. But, you know, what was the significance of bread breaking in the ancient world, uh, especially among religious sojourners? So meals are such a vital part of the story of scripture uh, that you could track a golden thread all the way through it. Um, in the first sin, if you will, in the creation narrative is, is eating wrongly. God had provided a tree 
and all of the garden and said, eat all of this. It's good. Don't eat this one. And that's the one thing they did. And, it, and eating wrongly is, is, is what kind of set them on that path. And then throughout the story of, of scripture, you see uh, meals used as covenant makers. So um, when Jacob steals a blessing, you know, he, he uses that as a meal of deception, but in order to get a covenant or a blessing from, from his father. Um, the people at, uh, after Passover, they're freed. They, they eat unleavened bread. They eat lamb a certain kind of way. Um, they burn all the leftovers. It, it matters how they have the meal. Um, later on in, in the second temple period, kosher meals become super important and, and it becomes an identity marker for the people. And so who you ate with and who you did not eat with uh, was a sign of your faith. So uh, Leonard Sweet likes to say that um, doing supper was doing spirituality. You know, having uh, lunch was in fact a religious experience. And so the people who they ate with and how they ate mattered because the way that they had to prepare their food, the way that they um, stewarded the land differently from others, the way that they cooked differently and didn't cook certain things and eat certain things was a living testimony, a reminder of who they were, that they were different. They were to be a light to the nations. And, and, and I think maybe that's the bad rap that we sometimes throw at like Pharisees and Sadducees is that, you know, they had all these kosher rules, but they weren't really meant to be um, heavy burdens. They were meant to be um, lived into bearing witness what God was doing through the people of Israel. And so it was an active way of worshiping on a daily basis. And so when people ate together, when they broke bread, they were telling the story of Passover. They were telling the story of the Feast of Weeks. They were telling the stories of the other festival cycles. And who you broke that with and who you shared that with uh, indicated whether you were in an insider or an outsider. And so when Jesus comes, and breaks bread with anybody, he's kind of removing that insider-outsider barrier and, and using the meal as an entry point into the kingdom of God. And when he's doing that, it, it freaked everybody out. <laughs> That's why they got so upset. And um, they made that jingle, you know, he's a friend of sinners, he's a glutton and a drunkard, you know, he, he'll eat with anybody. And uh, so, so that breaking of the bread was so significant because Jesus was welcoming them into the kingdom and everybody else had been using meals as a barrier, a divider between who was in and who was out. And Jesus was saying, well, if anybody who eats with me is in, and, and that's a different way of approaching who gathers at the table. I believe one of the, the biggest impediments to thriving for the church today is that most church members truly don't know each other. Uh, the church has become too much of a, a passive commodity in an era of busyness that often people don't even know the names of the person sitting in the pew next to them. Um, yeah. So for congregational leaders that recognize this fact in their context, how might a meal create an opportunity for building authentic community and genuine relationships? Yeah, this is great because this is how the, the project developed for, for my demon work was working with a couple of local churches who would do just this. And, and we had observed that very same thing, that there were people who, had been going to churches for a long time. They might have even been fellow congregants for 20 years or more, 
but they didn't really know anything about them. They didn't know them intimately or deeply. And, and some of that could just be the structure, the way the church works. Everybody faces a stage. And so you may not know somebody who's a few rows over and back from you. Uh, unless you're doing other activities in the life of the church, you, you might not see them except at services. So one of the things that uh, we found helpful was to gather people into small groups and, and share meals together. Meals become the catalyst. It's, it's easy to gather around a meal, especially for Baptists. You know, we love food. I think that's a joke every denomination makes, but uh, Baptists tend to hold that up as, as higher than others, I think. Um, but if you can get people to gather around a meal, four people, six people, eight people uh, of all ages, you can practice some of the habits here in the book, and they become a place for you to hear the story of scripture, for you to tell your story. Um, and, and what that does is it lowers those barriers. You get to know one another. So you get to exercise two very important disciplines in order to build a relationship. One is to share your life with another. The other is to listen to the life of another. And that creates the relationship, that back and forth listening and storytelling. Um, and, and if you're doing that over meals, it really causes you to slow down. Um, it's a little less formal than let's, let's sit here in a room in a Sunday school class and tell each other our lives is awkward. But if you do it over a dinner table, somehow it's so much more flexible, so much easier. And food tells a story. Um, the type of meal you prepare, uh, you could talk about, you know, how your grandparents gave you this recipe or you saw it on TV or, or whatever. And, and people can help prepare meals together or you bring your potluck and, you know, all of that tells a story and it just becomes a really soft entry-level place to begin to share your lives together. In the book, you give uh, some examples of how the table can be a, a formative experience for churches. What are some of the healthy models that you've seen from local churches, and, and what have been some of the results of these practices? So, I mean, your classic uh, Wednesday night dinners is, is always a great place to begin, and, and this is more your corporate potlucks or Sunday afternoon potlucks, whatever church uh, tradition your, your local church has. Um, and church I was part of, we, we would have Wednesday night dinners. Um, so, and it wasn't attached to anything else. Um, you didn't have to go to youth group. You didn't have to be in the choir or anything else. Now those activities followed dinner, but a lot of people came to those meals who, who did not participate in those activities. And so it became a place where everybody would go through the buffet line and then they'd sit around tables and share their lives. And I learned more about that church going to different tables and hearing the stories of, of, of the people in that context than I ever learned in any deacon meeting or trustee meeting or Christian education meeting or parent meeting with youth group. I, I learned so much about the church just around those meals that I did in any formal context. And so that's one way that they're really helpful. The other is, is when you do these table life groups, um, people get to know each other better. Um, and then, and then you can rotate them. So say you have these groups of six, they all tell each other's story. They get to know each other. And now you suddenly know these five or six other people, uh, differently. Um, and then, and then you rotate the group and you get to know another 
six or eight people. And you do that long enough, eventually you get to know everybody in the church if you're a smaller congregation. Um, and, and it creates a community that like, oh, I understand where that person's coming from, especially when you get into areas of conflict or division um, within the life of the church. You know more about the people involved. You know their story. You know their background. So it actually reduces some conflicts because you're able to deal with them at a more interpersonal level. Uh, maybe you pull them aside in the hallway and say, I'm having an issue with you. Maybe you're following Matthew 18 with that. Um, or, or maybe you just experience more grace because you've had so many meals with them. And so you just choose not to escalate those conflicts. I think that's been one, one of the side effects in our churches that have practiced table life is, is the conflicts are, are lower. Uh, I don't have a lot of uh, long-term uh, metric data for that, but I do know that the churches I've walked with haven't had major conflicts since starting Table Life, and uh, I, I I think those things could potentially be con connected. It also makes them, uh, I, I think, a little bit more connected on, in mission and, and, and local projects because people share what's going on in their lives, and then they're looking for ways to connect in mission and ministry together, and so somebody says, oh, I heard this, that you're really, really passionate about this, what about this ministry opportunity over here? Um, you told me about that at dinner. Uh, is there something that we can do together to, to do this ministry, uh, whatever it is that they're passionate about? And so I think those are some ways that, that, that meals have helped create uh, stronger communities and in, in local churches. In the book, you're not just arguing for individuals, families, churches, and neighbors to share meals together, but you're actually calling readers to go into the community to practice the art of listening amid the bistros, quick service, and, and other dining experiences. Yeah. Uh, take us a little deeper into the missional implications of the table. Yeah, so one of the things that like a uh, somebody who's really got their pulse on the current culture and uh, missional kind of practices and exploration, somebody like Alan Roxburgh or, or something like that, would argue for developing skills to listen to your community better. Um, and, and they all have different ways of, of doing that. For me, um, if, if, if you want to get to know your neighborhood, you know, walking around your neighborhood, looking at it, listening, paying attention to it. Don't go out with the headbuds on, you know, but, but look for things and different times of day. Are there kids here? Are there no kids here? Are there a lot of pets? Are houses in disrepair or being remodeled? All of that kind of tells you something about the neighborhood you're living in. Are people friendly, not friendly? Do they seem to work during the day or in the evening? You know, you can kind of gauge all that just by walking around and paying attention. Uh, for a little while. Um, the, the getting into the community part, sharing these meals in, in different spaces helps you, again, pay attention to different areas. Um, are you seeing businesses suffer? Are there businesses that aren't being frequented? Um, are there, some of the stuff is beyond our control as we're discovering the supply chain and, and, and things, um, worker shortages and what have you. Um, but that's stuff to pay attention to. And then ask, is there a ministry opportunity here? Can I connect to this in some way? Can our church, can, can I personally, can our church corporately meet this need in some way? And so, so those are things that you can pay attention to and bring back to the local church and say, hey, I, I saw this thing. What do you guys think? Do, do, do you think that we could be part of that? 
um, and and they can decide if, if that's a ministry that they, they want to do as a community or if it's really just a passion God put on your heart to do uh, individually. But but you don't know that if you don't go out and, and see those things and, and pay attention to them. Tell us about uh, the most frustrating or difficult meal you've shared with others. Oh, goodness. Um, I, I think some of the most painful ones have been um, backstories of wounds people have had. Um, we, 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 I, I've shared these stories with um, different people and, 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 and I tend to joke afterwards is, is sometimes you get the uh, uh, storyteller hangover, if you will. Like you're just emotionally drained the next day sometimes after sharing your story with somebody. And so that's always a warning I give people. If, if you're really open, you're really honest and you're really sharing your life with this table group that you're in, you, you might feel that the next day, but it goes the other way with, with listening as well. I don't know what it is about me personally, but I tend to attract people who are on the edges of wanting to be really active and really faithful and connected to the local church, but also wounded by it in some ways and finding it very difficult and frustrating to stay connected to the local church for different reasons. And I think some of those are the most difficult because I love the church. I, I, I love what God does through the church. Uh, but I also know there are some people who've been hurt by them. Um, some of the larger national stories would, would, would of course, be all these uh, abuse scandals or, or the Me Too movement or uh, the patriarchy and all these kind of things are, are, are part of those stories sometimes. But other times, probably the most painful one I had was, was with a friend of mine, uh, one of the early participants in, in table for me. Um, we were sharing our stories and she just told the story of this traumatic event in her life, this abuse that happened to her. And her church didn't support her, didn't help her, kind of left her out to dry. And, and it, it sh shaped her whole adult life. The, the, first of all, the trauma of, of, of what happened, but then the church's lack of coming alongside um, really hurt her and it gave her some perspective on the church. And, and so presently, not connected to a local church, but wants to. And so the table and these meals that we share with them sometimes are places for them to connect to Christ, to talk a little bit about scripture, to work through some of that, to still pray, uh, but is, is at the present being kept from going to a local church and participating in worship and those sort of things. And, and I think that's, that's sad. That's, that, that's hard to, to work through with people because all I can be is a space that welcomes them where they're at presently and hope that they can move into the local church someday. You know, what's the ideal meal to share with an enemy or maybe uh, if we want to use a less extreme term, that annoying coworker or frustrating church <laughs> member, you know, yeah. as you think about inviting people to the table, both within an organization, within a neighborhood, within a church, you know, how do you prepare uh, to create a platform by which the tension that exists between people maybe is uh, is relieved or dissipated or 
at least yeah. put to the side for for the time being i think it depends on the level of of, of divide um and so the higher the level of frustration i'd say smaller the meal to start so if you're at real odds maybe just start with coffee um and if it's just a small divide maybe you can start with lunch you know it's a they both require commitments they both require a level of time but um different level of commitment to, to those things and and so i i if you're at odds with somebody you know maybe maybe just starting with a coffee and saying hey this is uh this is something that that's come between us and and, and i think we could work through this and you're not going to solve it at that one short meal but that then creates space to go to deeper meals maybe coffee turns into a lunch that turns into a dinner out in the public at a restaurant that might turn into a dinner in your home. I mean, these are like concentric circles of, of relational things. And, and the same thing, I mean, it sounds a little bit like you're trying to explain how to, how to get a date, but that's not really what this is. But, but it is that there's something about that depth of relationship with somebody, you know, if so, the more you're at odds, I think the smaller the meal is, is a good break-in point. Um, but as you start to navigate through some of those things and you need more time, then the meals become longer and, 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 and maybe the, the time when you work through that is important. Uh, I, I give, you, give you an example. I actually had something just like this as at odds with, with somebody. And, and it did start with just uh, a, a quick, coffee break kind of thing. And I was informed of, of this division between us. And I said, you know, that's, that's something we need to work through. I'm hearing it. Let me process it for a while. And then we came back over, over lunch and, and worked through it. And, and from that point forward, we were, we were better, uh, but it took, it took being made aware of them. And then the lunch kind of helped with that. And then other subsequent um, gatherings because we were connected to each other in in ministry and so we were going to see each other a lot and so we worked through that uh, over those smaller meals before working together uh, actively long term what's your hope for your readers um, my, my hope is that it stimulates them to consider meals as a form of of ministry i hope it connects people to christ because scripture reading is a big part of it so it's, it's reading scripture with others and hearing what they have to say about scripture um it's listening to their stories and, and becoming more aware of of what is going on in the lives of other people and recognizing that how they engage with with christ and how they engage with their city and their job and their family is different than how you do it uh, and that's okay and and doesn't mean they're not following Jesus. It just means they're following Jesus in their context. And, and learning that people have different experiences with Jesus is, I, I think, crucial to moving forward and helping break down some of these divisions that we experience in, in our culture and world right now. Learning the skills uh, to be able to tell your story succinctly and clearly uh, is an important aspect. Of, of being a follower of Jesus and being able to look and recognize where Christ is, is working all around you. And, and I hope that uh, the table becomes that space that people who are really deeply connected to churches and people who are not as connected 
to churches or to Christ, uh, can, it can be that bridge between those two worlds where people are drawn more deeply into relationship to one another, but also to Christ through the table, and that those who are already connected to the church will be then also connected to the church. Um, that's, that's really what I hope. So that the book is aimed at already Christians or people on the edges of, of their faith and kind of navigating some of those challenges and then equipping people to be able to have these, these meals um, in their homes or in public settings in a way that shares the gospel and strengthens their, their relationship with Christ and the church. <clears throat> the book is Table Life. Our guest is Greg Mamula. You can check out his work at table-life.org. Greg, thank you for making the time to have this conversation. We are grateful for your invitation to faith and life, confession and forgiveness, listening and storytelling, dwelling and doing, communion and community. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. BSK offers multiple ways to pursue theological education, helping you learn and grow in your area of ministry. Programs include a 75-hour Master of Divinity degree with concentration in BSK's areas of emphasis, including black church studies, rural ministry, and pastoral care. For ordained ministers or lay leaders alike, BSK offers nine-hour certificates in black church studies, rural ministries, and pastoral care, as well as two exploring ministry certificates for general ministry training. BSK also offers additional subject-specific training with Flourish workshops in subjects such as Introduction to Youth Ministry, Essentials in Youth Ministry, and the upcoming The Flight of the Soul of America. Now enrolling for fall 2022. Apply today at bsk.edu. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support. 